everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by Kids Pastor Emily Nevis. Today we get to conclude our series daring greatly. My name is Emily Nefis, and I am the Vineyard Kids Pastor, and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to be up here, so I can't be up here and not tell you a couple kids' stories, so I'll be really quick, and then I'll actually preach, teach. But in the Vineyard Kids Wing, some really great stuff is going on. Just last week, um, I was in the hallway, and I heard this little girl screaming, and she's running through the hallway, I love it here! It was so sweet. And then heard another story about a mom. Her son is in Vineyard Kids. He's in the first or fourth grade class, and she was having a bad day. You know moms, how it is, right? We have some of these bad days, and he says to her mom, you're doing Jesus work, and you're doing a great job. Sweet. And then another story, I had a parent come and talk to me, and This particular family has been um, attending just sporadically, and they had come this particular week, and he said, you know, we've tried eight other churches, and your church, it just surpasses the others, and my daughter loves coming to the Vineyard Kids. So they're having fun back there. They're learning about Jesus. They're experiencing the Holy Spirit, and I'm so glad Um, that we are a church, that we're a family in a place where our kids can come and scream in our hallways, I love it here. Thank you for all that you do to make sure Vineyard Kids happens every Sunday morning. I'm super excited this week because there's a teenager teaching. So cool. I love how we empower our kids, how we bring out their gifts and show them you can teach too. So thank you for all you do. I want to just start with a prayer, and then we'll jump in today to the conclusion of Daring Greatly. So pray with me. Lord, we love you. I just pray that you would come, that you would fill this place. I pray right now that you would soften our hearts and help us to focus. Help us to let go of whatever it is that's weighing us down. So I pray that you would take the burdens off of our shoulders I pray your peace would fill this place. And I pray above all else that today we could feel your love. We could feel that you are a God who loves. In your name we pray, amen. So if you happen to have missed any of the Daring Greatly series, I just encourage you, check out our website and go back and watch some of the videos. We learned lots of wonderful things like vulnerability is the way to wholeness, that Jesus helps us in our weakness, that going into the arena is risky, but it's worth it. Today, we get to conclude with the last chapter of Brene Brown's book, which is Wholehearted Parenting. Don't shut down on me if you're not a parent, because I'm not going to talk about it all that much. And then we're going to conclude the whole thing with wholehearted living. All right, so... We'll start off with the parenting part. If you're not a parent, let me just tell you that someone is always watching you. So if you're a teenager here, those Club 56ers, Camille, are watching you, saying, I can't wait to be as cool and popular as Camille. 
Those Club 56ers are watching you, Zoe, saying, I can't wait to be as beautiful and sweet as Zoe. Those Club 56ers back there are watching you, Rachel, saying, I can't wait to be as smart and driven as Rachel. They're watching you, Victoria, saying, I can't wait to have that kind of passion and energy. No matter where you're at, if you don't have kids, someone is watching you. If you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 80s, and you're not a parent, someone is watching you. Parents, our kids are watching us. And one of the best things that we can do for those people that are watching us is to be wholehearted people ourselves. So I'm going to share with you two stories, one about Zachary and one about Maggie. And um, yeah, you're already laughing. Oh, because there's a picture. Okay, great. <laughs> so this is Zachary with my husband, Frank. Now, Zachary is six. And the other night, just like two days ago, he lies to me. And this is like the second or third time this week, so I'm starting to get really worried that my child is gonna have this lying habit, and immediately I'm like, oh, I have to stop this now, right? So he lies to me, and I catch him. He can't lie, he does this little like smirk thing, right? So I know he's lying. Um, and I made the worst parenting mistake ever, ever, like total shame fest for what I did. Now, not only did I completely misrepresent God, and I'm a pastor, I totally took the Bible out of context, um, and it was just horrendous. So the story that I thought of when he lied to me was the story about Lot's wife. So if you're not familiar, there's a story in the Old Testament about, oh, you already know where I'm going. Okay, so Lot and his wife are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a horrendous place, and God is like, that's it. I'm done. I have to destroy this place. So he tells Lot and his wife, get out and don't look back. What does Lot's wife do? turns around, looks back, and he turns her into a pillar of salt. Okay, so I say to Zachary, you better stop lying right now. You don't know, God could turn you into a pillar of salt. <gasps> like, it flies out of my mouth, and I'm like, no, come back, because first of all, God is not angry and mean, and he's not going to turn Zachary into a pillar of salt. And secondly, Lot's wife wasn't even lying. It had nothing to do with lying. So, bad parenting moment. And I get this, like, shame. The shame just, like, falls over me. Emily, I can't believe you're a pastor. I can't believe you represent God. That was awful. And I'm fully expecting my child to burst into tears. I'm this close to calling a counselor. It's like 8 o'clock at night because he's going to need counseling. And um, he starts laughing. And he says, Mom, really? That happened in, like, the 80s. <laughs> awesome. That's my son. So proud of him. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So anyway, children are super forgiving, and they're <laughs> way more resilient than I think. So anyway, I, I make up for it. I try to. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I said that to you. That's not what God meant. This is what the story really means. And you know, we don't lie because it breaks trust. Every time you tell a lie, Zachary, you break my trust, and I start to not believe you anymore. And that's painful, right? I love you, Zachary, so much. I'd do anything for you, and you always belong with me here, and I love you, but lying hurts. 
and please stop, right? And he does get a punishment in love. Um, because I love him, I punish him, right? Great. So that's Zachary. Now we have Maggie, and I'm going to show you a little video of Maggie because you have to know her to get this story. So we'll show you a video. I don't think there's any up there, Liz. So that's my Maggie, she's four. And she is loud, really loud. I love her and I love it, but she's really loud. And so she was just at the Cheslin Preserve with her friend Lucy and they were playing and she was being loud. And um, so Maggie, with her loudness, um, we decided to sign her up for soccer. That is not connected to her loudness. We signed her up for soccer and I thought, oh, I'll coach, this will be great. No, bad idea. So I'm coaching, but since um, she's my daughter, she won't really play. She like grabs my leg and we run down the field like this. And I'm like, Maggie, just one goal. Can you just score one goal, right? And she's like this really loud in front of all the parents, right? All the parents are watching her. She goes like this, fine, I'll score one goal, but then I'm out of here. <laughs> awesome. So I'm seeing all these parents are looking at me and I'm so ashamed. And I know they're thinking, what is she gonna do, right? Well, I did nothing, I let her score one goal. Um, and so that's just Maggie, but she's adopted this phrase, I'm out of here. So this week, it was like seven o'clock in the morning and she was angry and upset because I didn't give her what she wanted, right? We all still throw tantrums when we don't get what we want. So she says, that's it, I'm out of here. She goes right out the front door, right? So we live in a townhouse community, and we know pretty much everyone, so I'm thinking, ah, what big deal, right? No, and nobody's even awake, so I'm sure she'll be fine. Um, and I watch her go out, and you know, I'm thinking, this is a great strategy, get your anger out by taking a walk, perfect. Okay, however, she goes toward the main road, and a car stops. Now I'm mortified, right? Rolls down their window, I don't know what they said. She comes back in. I said, Maggie, what did they say to you? She says, they said, are you okay, little girls? Everything okay? And I said, sure. And I came back home. Fine. But now I'm getting angry and embarrassed and the shame fest, right? Oh, I'm such a bad parent. I am not good enough. I'm so bad at this. And I'm starting to get angry. And then I do another one of these like, no, come back. Maggie, are you crazy? You can't do this. They're gonna call the police and they're gonna take me away. Ah, so bad, right? Like who says that to, the, to their children? But I did it. Um, and then I had to undo it. Maggie, I'm so sorry. I should not have said that. Um, and I had to undo it, all right? Maggie, I love you. You belong here with us. Um, and I had to undo the pain. So what is the point of these stories? My children will need counseling, yes. But the real point, um, is this idea of shame, right? So every time I have these bad parenting moments, the shame comes on. Have you ever been there? If you're not a parent, you have these moments at work. You have them with your family. You have them with your friends where you say something and you want to bring it back and then the shame comes. Or someone says something to you that shames you. 
Shame. Shame is what keeps us from living wholehearted lives. We all want to be the kind of people that live wholeheartedly. Those are the type of people who know that they are worthy of love, that they are worthy of belonging. They're the type of people that can let things slide off of them when they feel pain because they know that they're loved. We want to be those type of people, but what keeps us from that is shame. So let's check this out, this idea of shame. I'll give you a definition of shame first. The definition of shame, according to Brene Brown in her book, so she studies shame, she says, shame is the intensely painful feeling that we are not worthy of love or belonging. This shame has been around for so long. We're going to go back to the very beginning. If you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have them, um, or if you have your device, scroll to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have them, I'll have it up here on the screen for you. But let's check out and see, what does God have to say about shame? We find ourselves in the story of Adam and Eve. Right, so we have God created Adam and he created Eve and he set them in this beautiful garden with these wonderful trees, amazing fruit, and he has these special trees. One is the tree of life and when they eat from it, they continue to live. So it gives them life forever as long as they're eating it. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So right now, they're in perfect relationship with God and they are perfect. And it says, um, before we jump into chapter 3, right before chapter 3, it says, Now the man, Adam, and his wife Eve were both naked, but they felt no shame. However, what happens, most of us know, is that Eve gets deceived by the serpent, who says, Go ahead, Eve, eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No big deal. And she's like, Oh, great, sure. So she takes a bite of the fruit. She gives it to Adam. He takes a bite of the fruit. And here we jump in. I want you to see the first thing that happens when they eat the fruit. Here's what happens. Verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt, what? Shame. Not fear. Not anger. Not like, I always thought when they ate the fruit, they'd get downloaded into their heads these, like, evil movies, and it would be terrifying. But the first thing they feel is shame. They felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I want to stop there for a second. They have never hidden from God before. They never needed to hide from God. They were in this perfect relationship with him, feeling loved, feeling like they belonged all the time. But all of a sudden, they don't feel loved, and they don't feel like they belong because evil has now come in. And now they have to hide because of their shame. So they hide. But what does God do? How does God react to their shame? Let's keep looking. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I have to stop here for a second too. Now, I, don't, I wasn't there, obviously. I don't know how God said this. 
But I feel like there might be two different ways for us to think about it. Either God said, where are you? Or he said, where are you? I believe that God has this deep compassion for Adam in his shame. And I feel like God probably said, Adam, where are you? Come and talk to me. Come here, come tell me what, what, what's happened, right? So God says, Adam, where are you? And so Adam says, it says, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Now, again, let me read it two different ways. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Or have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Adam, tell me about it. Talk about your shame. I think the first thing that God does is asks Adam to talk about it. Do you know the thing about shame? And you'll learn about that if you read this book. The thing about shame is that it thrives on secrecy. But if you bring it into the light, it cannot survive. And it certainly can't survive empathy. So if God is being empathetic here, and Adam does share his shame, that's how the shame will go. And then Eve... Oh, sorry, I have to do Adam's response. Adam replies, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. I love this part. He totally blames Eve. Dude, it's all her fault. Okay, yeah. We all know how that goes. Um, <laughs> some serious marriage counseling is in order for them, right? Um, anyway, verse 13. Then the Lord asked the woman. Again, two different ways. What have you done? Or, Eve, what have you done? Eve, talk to me. Tell me your shame. Right? So she does. Well, she blames the serpent. So much blame. Okay. The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. Okay. So just hang on right there. Uh, I'm going to skip over the next part and just tell you what happens next. So the first thing God does, right? is he addresses their shame by having them talk about it. Tell me what happened. Great. Then he disciplines them in love. So the unique thing, I won't read it, but what happens next is that he curses, God curses two things. Is it Adam and Eve? No. He curses the serpent and he curses the ground, but he does not curse them. Right? Unlike my terrible parenting, God is the ultimate good father. He doesn't curse them. He disciplines them in love. Yes, they get a consequence because they have to learn. But he loves them deeply. He does not curse them. Right? And then the third thing he does after he disciplines, so you can skip ahead with me, were Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. This is the third thing God does. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So what does God do then? He's got some compassion in him. He knows that they feel shamed. 
He knows that they don't want to be naked anymore. And so he clothes them in some really nice leather, animal, whatever, clothes. He says, you know what, guys? I get it. You feel the shame, and here's some clothes. I love you. You belong with me. Let me help you through this shame. And then, this is my favorite part. I was so excited about this. So listen, if, you're, if you've fallen off the edge right now, listen. This is the best part. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? What will happen? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim, those are just kind of like angel-looking things, to the east of the Garden of Eden, Sorry, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So I grew up thinking that God is angry and mean, and how awful, really, did he have to kick them out of the garden? That's so mean, but really what God was, what he is, is love. The reason he sent them out of the garden is because he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever with evil, right? Who would want that? He doesn't want his children to live forever now because of the sin, that's now inside of them. So really, banishing them from the garden was an incredible act of grace and love. Nothing mean about that at all. It was an act of love. God is saying to Adam and Eve, I love you. You are worthy of love, even when you mess up. You belong, and you're worthy of love. So he takes the shame, and he deals with their shame. So what about for us today? We've all been there. Probably even this morning we've shamed ourselves already. We all deal with this idea of shame. We really do want to be wholehearted people, but we, we wear this armor that we think is so great. We think it protects us, this armor of shame, right? So we wear these masks, right, that say, ugh, I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to really see me because if you really see me, you'll see all the shame in me. You'll see I'm not really a great person and you'll see all these horrible things that I've done and these horrible things that I've said. So let me wear my mask of shame because I don't want you to see me. Now we know the reality of that is that we actually really do want to see people. I love it when I get to really see somebody, when they show me the ugly of them and the good. I love it all because that's when I feel connected to someone because I'm not perfect either. Well, you know I'm not perfect. I just shared you some horrible stories about my parenting. But we wear these masks thinking that they protect us, but they don't. And then we do something else. We wear this cape of secrecy. Dun, 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 dun. I'm not really Captain America. This is a cape of secrecy. Hold on, I can't even get it on. Okay, probably a good thing because I shouldn't be wearing a cape of secrecy. But what we do with this then is we keep our shame in the dark. I have no shame. You can't see my 
shame, and you can't see me, and let me keep it all hidden inside. Oh, man. Do you know what happens when you do that? It just festers, and it grows, and you never get healed from that shame that you keep inside. It has to come out of the, in the light. And then we have this amazing shield of shame. The shield of shame. And we try to protect ourselves, right? Usually from the arrows of other people, right? Like they're going to say something horrible, or they're thinking something horrible about me, and you try to block their arrows with your shame. Well, that's silly. So really, all of this armor, we think it protects us, but it doesn't. And what does God want to say to us today? He wants to say, hey, I love you. You belong with me, and you're worthy of love, and you don't need this armor of shame, right? So take off your mask and let everyone see you for who you really are. Tell them the ugly. As soon as you speak it, shame hates that. Speak it, tell people. You know, you don't want to tell just anyone. I tend to do that. I tell everyone my junk. But it's really good to find one good person or two good people that you know are going to be the type of people that say, oh, that is really hard. And I'm here for you. I'll walk with you through this. Tell me more about how you're feeling. You want the type of people that will validate it's okay to feel that way. Talk to me. Who love you in the midst of shame. And then God says, take off your silly cape of secrecy. If you keep it in the dark, that's fine, but you'll never find that wholeheartedness that you need. And put away your shield of shame. You know what? If people throw arrows at you, if they say things about you, you know what? I got your back. God loves you. Jesus will walk beside you, and he will protect you and love you. And anytime someone says something about you, um, I won't name any names, but there's someone in my life who likes to, like, jab at my parenting. It really hurts. And every time it happens, I just take a deep breath, and I say, you know what? I am loved. God loves me even when I mess up. And even if I'm not the perfect parent, I'm loved I belong, and it's okay. Take off your shield of shame, and if those arrows fly at you, so be it. There's a God who loves you so much. So much. I'm going to call up the worship team, and as the worship team comes up, I want to read something to you from this book. It's connected to um, the parenting chapter, so if you have the book and you want to read this for yourself, you can um, look in the parenting chapter. But what I want you to do is close your eyes. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. Close your eyes. And I want you to just listen to this. It's a parenting manifesto. So this is something um, that she recommends parents use. Um, but I want you to think of it as God. God as your parent. God speaking to you. No matter what might happen today, no matter what you accomplish today or what you don't, you are good enough. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of belonging. 
no matter what might happen today. What you accomplish, what you don't, what you say, what you don't say, you are good enough. Above all else, I want you to know that you are loved and lovable. You will learn this from my words and my actions. Think about the time that I sent Jesus down to rescue you. Think about the time that Jesus was hurt by Peter. When Peter said three times, I don't know Jesus. Think about what Jesus did. He didn't shame Peter. He came back, he embraced Peter, and he said, Peter, be a pastor. I trust you, you're responsible, and I love you, Peter. Think about how Jesus and God, we, we aren't angry at you. We aren't condemning you. We love you, and we want to wipe your shame away. God says, you will learn that you are worthy of love, belonging, and joy. No matter what, you will always belong here. And I will always hold sacred the gift of seeing you, truly, deeply seeing you. So let's pray, God, you love us so much. I pray right now that you would pour out that love. And Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone here who believes that you're angry and who, who aren't willing to say, yes, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. I pray if that's anyone here right now, that they would pray with me in the depths of their heart, Jesus, I'm broken and I need you to rescue me. I believe that you are loving. I believe that you are kind and compassionate. I believe that you came, that you died to rescue me. And I want to belong in your family for the rest of my life. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.